everyone. I was here last night and I said to my husband this morning that if I lived out here, this is definitely a church I would want to be involved in. It's been amazing. Uh, I was very blessed last night, so I'm excited to be here today. I am here from the Haldeman Pregnancy Care and Family Center. It is a mouthful. Um, and I'm learning. It's been a year and a half, and once in a while I still trip up, but I just say HPCFC in case. So I've worked there for a year and a half. I've been involved in pregnancy care ministries for six years now, and I have been involved in the pro-life community as a whole since about 2005. So before we jump in, I wanted to echo what was said earlier. Happy Mother's Day to our mothers, to our grandmothers, to those who have stepped in as a motherly role um, in the lives of those who needed it. Um, Mother's Day actually kicks off our baby bottle campaign, um, which there are baby bottles in the back. We run our baby bottles from Mother's Day to Father's Day, and it raises funds uh, for the free services that we offer to not only mothers and fathers, but grandmothers and children in our community. I actually stumbled into pregnancy care ministry in my final year of university. I was attending Brock. I'm one of those weird people that loves politics. And so I was getting my uh, BA in political science. And I had every intention of getting involved in the political realm with regards to pro-life legislation. And as I entered the pregnancy center, I found myself realizing how little I actually knew. I had no idea of the very real and scary challenges that women and men were facing on a daily basis with regards to their crisis pregnancy. And God used this pregnancy center to open my eyes and to change my perceptions about pro-life issues. And most importantly, he changed the way that I interact with the community at large and with the Christian community regarding this issue. And as I continued to work with clients and I trained staff and volunteers, I found this new passion emerging in my life. Though I had always been pro-life, I had a very limited definition of what that looked like. And as my understanding of crisis grew, I found the passion to share with fellow Christians what it looks like to be involved in this non-political conversation of pro-life grew with it. So last summer when I had the chance to meet with Pastor Mark and we went out for coffee, we just had a great conversation about what it looks like to live a lifestyle of love and what it looks like to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ for those who are going through this form of crisis. It's more than a political cause. It's more than a religious position, but it's a lifestyle. So as we jump in today, we want to talk about what it looks to live that lifestyle of love. Um, how do we as Christians represent Christ and wear the title of pro-life, of pro-love, in a way that engages the community, that reaches those who need help in the most vulnerable crisis of their life, and that speaks grace and love without compromising the truth of God's word? How do we embody and live out this calling as Christ would have us? So I wanted to start out in Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 to 17. So it's on the screen behind me. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In this text, we see the emphasis of standing strong and being a light in a dark, dark world. Two years ago, I was attending a conference in Chicago, and I had the opportunity to hear from two gentlemen named the Benham Brothers. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with these men, they are twin brothers who both started out a career in Major League Ball. I believe they played for the Cardinals and the Orioles. They quickly left and entered investments in real estate and soon after got, um, I don't know the word, they were scouted by a bunch bunch of major TV broadcasters. So they started a show called Flipping It Forward where they would flip houses uh, in the real estate market. And very soon, these gentlemen found themselves in the midst of major controversy as previous comments they had made towards a godly standard of marriage came forward. And HGTV fired both of them. And in turn, they found themselves becoming speakers, sharing the importance of standing strong in the midst of a culture that wants us to back down. And they shared about being a light in the world. And during their talk, they mentioned that as Christians, so often we find ourselves as fireflies. We flick on, we flick off. When things go bad, we flick off. When things go good, we flick on. And our light does not stay on. But he challenged us that we should be embers. And what happens when wind comes and blows on an ember? It starts to glow and it starts to brighten up. When adversity comes our way, we're not called to flick our light off. We're called to glow, to burn. And the reason that an ember burns when the wind comes is because its fire comes from within. And as Christians, when adversity comes our way, we're called to glow because our truth, the truth that we know comes from God's word, comes from within. In the next section of the text, which I didn't read, Jesus talks about the Pharisees. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of the Pharisees had really good intentions. They desired holiness, they desired to follow the law, to tithe, to enter the kingdom of heaven, but they valued the law so much higher than relationship. And so often, and in that passage, we saw Jesus admonish them. And I think as Christians, when we bring it back to this conversation, we desire to stand for life, we desire to stand for truth and to support people, but often we don't know how and we get intimidated. So today, as we talk about what it looks like to balance that truth with grace, let's dive in as lights of the world, as salt in a um, dark place, as lights in a dark place, salt in the world, let's dive it in and talk about this topic. So before we begin, I wanted to actually define a few things. Um, These two definitions come from a website called Urban Dictionary. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, this website allows users to enter their own definition of any word. It's quite interesting. You can get lost in there. And you could argue that for that very reason, because anyone can enter a definition, it's not accurate. But I like to go on and to check what their definitions are, because it gives me a very unique glimpse into how the community is talking about us. So let's define pro-life. According to Urban Dictionary, pro-life is a political stance where the rights of an undeveloped human are protected, but apparently the woman who is raped does not matter. Pro-life is a label for, a, for those who oppose a woman's right to choose. 
Pro-life people suggest that those who don't agree with them are bloodthirsty baby killers. Pro-life people avoid all rational debate. Pro-life people advocate for the murder of those who perform abortions. Pro-life people walk around with pictures of dead babies. Pro-life people have never been in a position where they need to consider the option of abortion. Pro-life is a deceptive word. Pro-life is only pro-birth because once a person is born, pro-life people lose all interest. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear those definitions, I don't love the idea of wearing a pro-life label across my forehead. And in fact, I find myself getting very creative with how to describe my moral and religious position on life. I'll use words like pro-love, pro-abundant life, pro-informed choice, pro-grace, life-affirming, and I will say anything but the dreaded and loaded words of pro-life. Here are the definitions from Urban Dictionary of Pro-Choice. Pro-choice believers do not relish the thought of abortion, but are committed to keeping the government out of the bedroom. Pro-choice people consider abortion and euthanasia necessary evils. Pro-choice is not pro-abortion. Pro-choice people do not hate children because they believe every child should be a wanted child. Now here are a few more definitions of pro-choice. And these ones, I always put a disclaimer, were written by pro-life people, people in our camp, towards the pro-choice. Pro-choice is a group of people who care more about a woman's right to choose than a baby's right to life. They claim that rape is an excuse for murder, but instead of murdering the rapist, they murder their own flesh and blood. Pro-choice is a political stance of soulless, morally degenerate extremists who believe they should have the legal right and choice to murder or exterminate undesirable humans. If you had one chance to talk to someone who is pro-choice, would this be the message you would give? If you were pro-choice, would you want to talk to someone who views you this way? These definitions, I, I, actually, I want to summarize pro-life. If we look at the definition that was given of pro-life, I think we could, could say that we are perceived as religious, right-wing, Christian, ignorant, hypocritical, anti-woman people with double standards. We have a pretty good rap sheet. And though I believe we're not all guilty of those things, we are painted with the same brush. We might not have gone out and harmed an abortion physician. There are certainly people who believe the pro-life mission who identify as liberal or Democrat or NDP. There are people in the pro-life movement who are atheists and who are not Christians. But they don't see the one. They see the mass. And as a result, we're all left being painted with this label. And I think as Christians, we avoid getting involved in any form of activity because we're scared and intimidated by the label that we're going to wear by association. We want to change hearts and lives. We want to get involved in the testimonies and having an impact on someone's life, but we're intimidated and honestly, it's hard to know where to begin. Now, I never took any speech class. I never took any journalism things, but I think the point of a speech is to um, encourage you, and I certainly haven't done that yet. So I do want to talk about how we can get involved in a way that um, replicates the way Jesus would act. So where do we begin? How do we get involved in this movement, in the ministry 
for those who are in need? How do we become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? How can we begin to show the value to each person of the baby that is growing inside of them? How can we get people to understand that a fetus is the same as a baby and it deserves life? How do we share the message of the value of each baby? I'm not sure if you picked up on it there, but every question was targeted towards the baby. And personally, I believe that the way to win hearts and minds begins far before a baby ever comes into the picture. In, our, in my experience, our mission is not solely to share the value of a baby, but to share the value of every single woman, man, or couple that you are encountering and standing in front of. The mission starts far before any crisis pregnancy begins. The question is not, how do we share the value of the baby going inside, but how do we share the value of each person? When we look back on the definitions from Urban Dictionary, I see some things in common. Never once are we told that it is wrong to love a baby. Never once are we faulted for wanting to see a pregnancy followed through to term. We are always faulted, and the negativity is always towards how we are treating them, the adults, the one going through the crisis, the one who has been raped, the one who is in poverty. The problem is not with us loving the baby, but the problem is our lack of love towards them. We are not faulted for our love of the pre-born. We are faulted for our treatment of the born. We are not told we love the baby too much. When I first stumbled upon this conclusion after reading the definitions from Urban Dictionary, it weighed so heavily upon my heart. We're accused of holding the baby higher than a person who is in front of us. We're accused of treating those who oppose us with very little dignity and no respect. We're not faulted for our love of the preborn, but all too often we are guilty for our treatment of the born. In light of Matthew 5, as salt in the world and lights in a dark place, how do we bridge that gap and begin to love the person who is in front of us? I wonder how many of you here have ever experienced a spiritual high, where you've heard a great message, you've read a great book, you've been to a conference, or you were at a youth camp or something, and you left that place feeling so challenged and so convicted by God that you were called to volunteer or join a cause or donate or maybe even have a total 180 change in the trajectory of your career or your personal life. I know I certainly have been in that place. It felt like God himself had tailored that message specifically to me and he was calling me to do something. And yet, as we so often see, I left that place and we leave those places with a clear conviction but without any tangible way for us to implement that conviction. And then we go home with all of these hypothetical ideas swirling around in our heads and we open the door and there's kids running around with scissors and an empty fridge that needs to be filled and laundry piled up and replace it with whatever chaos greets you when you walk through your doors. The calling or the conviction that you felt so clearly begins to slip away. And within a week or maybe a month if you're lucky, you can barely recall that moment of clarity that you had. I think it's all too common because as Christians, we absorb so many messages, whether it be through blogs or podcasts or sermons. And these messages, they seek to challenge us and to equip us, but instead we find ourselves in this cycle. The cycle starts with us finding a worthwhile cause 
where we're convicted to help, but then we find ourselves overwhelmed with life and responsibilities, and we can't find time to serve, and the desires slip away. And then in a couple weeks or a couple months, we find ourselves in that exact same cycle. And this perpetual cycle continues to plague us. And we read blogs and and articles on how to say the best yes or the Christian way to say no or how to fit more hours into a 24-hour day. Sounds familiar? Oh, I guess it's just me. Okay. (laughs) Sounds familiar, right? How do we squeeze more volunteering into a chaotic week in the midst of cooking and cleaning and laundry and kids and spouses and school and Bible studies? And there's always going to be something worthwhile that is vying for your attention. So perhaps the question isn't how do I fit in more, but how do I do more in what I'm already doing? And taking that into context of today... The question isn't, how can I get more involved in life-affirming work, but how can I, in my day-to-day routine, help value life in what I'm already doing? You see, I believe this radical idea that the word pro-life, which is so scary, is not a political position. It's not a checkmark on a ballot box. It's not simply a moral belief. I believe that it's a lifestyle and it's a way of living day-to-day a way of affirming the value, the worth, and the dignity of every single human being. Born or unborn, young or old, so many are scared of this word because of the reasons we talked about before. But I believe we receive that backlash because that term has been distorted and molded into something that is not God's design for us. There's this great book by Focus on the Family called The Dignity and Sanctity of Every Human Life. I'd encourage you to read it, but it's really just an encyclopedia. And um, it has some really good quotes in it. So here's one. We must affirm with our culture what we declare with our message. Actions speak louder than words. It's possible to simultaneously preach true doctrine with our lips and utterly deny that doctrine with our culture. Think of a church that worships a man who is a homeless refugee but walks by the homeless man on the street. We can deny with our culture what we declare with our message, rendering the message impossible to believe. However, when a a compelling culture affirms a clear message, Even skeptical onlookers are moved to think, I might not believe it yet, but if it produces this, I wish it were true. How powerful. If we as Christians began to value and treat every single human life with dignity, my job would become so easy. I could sit back and watch Netflix and go on Facebook all day because the moment someone walks through the door, I can simply say, we will be here for you, and they'll believe it because they've seen it. We can say, we will walk alongside you. We will hold you up when you cannot hold up yourself. And when we as Christians say we're pro-life, but walk by the person in need, we're denying the message that we are saying in our church. When we value all life, we are able to answer with confidence to those who are in crisis and to those who oppose us and say, we are ready and we are here. This same book also talked about statistics. Now, I'm a numbers girl, I don't know if you are. I love policies and procedures. Um, So bear with me if you're not. But these statistics that are going to come up, they are um, from 
women attending a local church. These are not general numbers. These are specific to women attending, okay? 7% of church attending women facing an abortion decision talked with their own church. If we take the opposite, that means that 93% of women facing a crisis pregnancy in the church did not talk to someone in their church. And 76% of women said that the church actually played no role whatsoever in their abortion decision. 65% of women from the church said that they feel like the church judges single pregnant women. 30% of women think that the church gives accurate advice on options, which means that 70% of women think the church does not. These numbers are staggering. We should not be the place where someone feels judgment. We should be the lighthouse, the safe place, the home, the security, the place for someone to think of first when they are in crisis. It is really easy to love the unborn, to love babies, and to love children. Well, actually, I should pause. For the most part, like especially when they learn to sleep through the night, it is easy to love them. But how do we love others? The grumpy neighbor the disrespectful teenager, or the guy who just cut you off, potentially on the way into church this morning? Do we treat all people with dignity and respect? Even more, do we treat those people with dignity and respect when it's inconvenient? I think often we separate the concept of serving with our lifestyle. And we pop into church or the pregnancy center or wherever you may be serving, which is awesome. And we get those couple hours in and then we go about our day with our groceries and our errands and our kids. I challenge you to think of them as one. When you seek to find opportunities to love on others in your day-to-day routine, you are living out the lifestyle of love. In my job, I get a lot of opportunities to witness testimonies. I get to see girls who come into my office, they plop down on my chair and they say, well, I'm supposed to be having an abortion right now. I get to see people who thought they would be terrible mothers thrive in their role as a mother and and do amazing things. I get to see community agencies who would never refer someone to us and then they start to see the clients that are coming through our doors and they start sending more clients to us because they've seen the work. There's an abortion provider in Niagara who has the local pregnancy center's brochures in his office because he was willing to sit down and have coffee with me and tell me about what he does and learn about us. This is love. This is bridging the gap. With testimonies, I often get told how lucky I am to work at a pregnancy center, um, how much people wish they could experience testimonies like that. They talk about how they never have the opportunity to walk alongside someone. Taking part in these victories is not something that just happens. It happens when we as the church consistently make ourselves available to those in the community. When we support others and when we reinforce their value, these opportunities will come because we are letting our light shine in a dark place identifying who we are. You might not have enough time in the day to volunteer for a cause or for our center. But when you speak truth and love in our community, you are effectively telling every single one of our clients that what we are saying behind those doors is the truth. 
You are being part of this movement and our center when you are valuing others. When you do this, you're being part of our mission to build strong families through the love of Jesus Christ. You are reinforcing life, truth, and value. You are being salt and showing the community that we're not simply religious, right-wing, hypocritical Christians. You're bridging that gap. I've had the opportunity to interact with a lot of hurt people in our community. And I know there's a lot of people out there who need support, but they don't know where to turn. When we serve not just for a couple hours, we're going to start seeing the cultural shift. When we strive to love the way that Christ has loved us unconditionally, we gain the ability and he will give us the opportunities to disciple those and he will bring them across our path. And when we love those people, we are going to start seeing the tangible impact that we as a church universal are having on culture. So let me leave you with this challenge. Are you personally affirming with your actions what you declare with your message? Are you going to seek today to begin to value all people through the lens of God? Will you seek to find areas where you can live a lifestyle of love? As we move towards this, the universal church will be ready to embrace and ready to accept anyone who is alone and in need. My very first month working at the pregnancy center, I think they were trying to see how good I am. They threw me to the wolves. Um, I had the opportunity to attend a local expo and it was on mental health. And leading up to that expo, we had received a lot of kickback. And there were people rallying um, for us not to be able to attend. And when we went to this expo and we set up, they stationed us between EMS and the police. And that was very intentional. <laughs> but soon after we set our table up, someone beelined right for us and uh, spent the next hour and a half telling, telling me what she thought of me, the one she had just met. And in in an effort to bridge the gap with her, I began to agree with her. Yes, we do not have enough support systems for single mothers. Yes, financially, it will be difficult. Yes, in Haldeman, Norfolk, healthcare is an issue. Yes, we need more housing. Because agreeing with her, she began to see that even though we have so many divisive areas, there are areas that we can effectively work together to make a change. And I invited this person for a tour. And eight months passed before she showed up at our door. And when she showed up, she came for a tour, and she actually brought donations for our care closet for our clients. This is what love looks like. This is what it looks like to make an actual change in our community. Today is not meant to be that motivational message that puts you in another perpetual cycle. You don't need to go home and wonder, hmm, how can I get more connected in this movement? You can, right here and right now, love others without condition. You can walk out these, this door and be a light in a dark place. You can affirm the value of all lives simply by slowing down and leaving margins for God to give you the work. You can be intentional in how you interact with those who disagree with you and treat them with respect. And when we live out that love, we get to share in the testimonies of clients like Jane. Jane walked through our door, and at first glance, she seemed like a very typical client. She had had a crisis pregnancy as a teen. She was involved with the Children's Protective Services. But as we began talking, it became very apparent that Jane was someone who had experienced more loss than many of us can imagine. She had lost a baby in a later pregnancy. 
She had had a miscarriage, and she had gotten married, and everything seemed great. Her husband loved her little girl, but he had a secret addiction. And one night following a fight, Jean was left for dead after her husband had stabbed her multiple times. And when she walked through the doors of our pregnancy center, she was addicted to the pain medication as a result of her healing journey. And after some parenting courses and some one-on-one support, Jane is now finding victory over her addiction and successfully parenting her little girl. And stories like Katie, who was a client that was a bit, came to us years ago and then recently came back. And she found herself pregnant from a man who drank excessively. And in his drunken rage, Katie found herself receiving the full extent of his physical anger. Since leaving, Katie has taken parenting courses, one-on-one counseling. She's found housing and with our help is now successfully navigating the court system to receive custody of her little girl. Our pregnancy center and this mission is so much more than a pregnancy test. We don't just see families who need a little bit of assistance. We see all walks of life's traumas and experiences. Young or old, male or female, parents and those who are soon to be parents or might never be parents. There's no one-size-fits-all mold to who walks through our doors for help. When I first toured the center years ago, far before I ever knew I would end up here, I fell in love because I saw a staff, board, and volunteers who saw a problem and strove to find a solution. So now we have programs like Rocking Together, which is for grandmothers who are primary caregivers of their grandchildren because they are in such unique circumstances and they need so much support. And we have eight women faithfully attending that. We have our Captivating Camp, which is for girls grades 6 through 8. And we talk about self-worth and value and social media and healthy boundaries. The services we offer are not just for babies or for moms. We're not simply here to see a woman choose life, hop on welfare, and live a mediocre life. We're here not to see her survive, but to thrive in whatever circumstance she finds herself in. I share this with you to remind you that our ability to share in these journeys with clients is not something that happens overnight. These things take months and years of unconditional love, of late-night texts and inconvenient phone calls. It took us living the lifestyle of love and reaffirming their value and their worth regardless of the choices that they have made in the past. It took them trusting us and truly believing us that we were there for them. And they felt that way because we lived a consistent lifestyle, affirming with our actions what we declared with our message. We cannot expect to have grand testimonies of support if we are not doing the hard work. And we cannot expect the chance to do the hard work if we are not faithful in the small day-to-day ways. So again, let me ask you, are you affirming with your culture what you are declaring with your message? Let's work together to show the community that we are ready to love them, to support them, so that they will say, I might not believe this yet, but if this is what, it were, what is producing, I wish it were true. Let's pray together. God, we come before you today. 
Uh, We're grateful for the women here, for the mothers, the grandmothers. Uh, We lift them up and we thank you today for the blessing that they are. Lord, we lift up today the ones who are struggling with Mother's Day, the ones who have lost, the ones who yearn to be mothers, the ones who are struggling with the decision of abortion. Lord, we pray that they know the unconditional love that is available only in you. And Lord, will you open our eyes to see those who are hurting, that we can minister to them um, and show your love. Lord, will you be with the clients at Haldeman Pregnancy Center? Will you um, show them that there are churches all over the region, Kingsway and many others, that are here and ready to accept them as they are? And Lord, will you open our eyes this week, whether it's at the grocery store, at the schools, or wherever you have us, to see those who are hurting and to find the opportunities to be your hands and feet and to love on the community, not just with our words, but with our actions. Will you go with us today, keep us safe as we travel, um, whatever we may be doing, and will you be glorified in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions this week? And we pray these things in your name. Amen.